Kiss on your dogs. Kiss on your cats. Just make sure it's not of a sexual nature. <laughs> Is that Cra- Casey Musgraves, dog? Did you see how the in my zone? Did you did you see how the special downstairs is a donut burger? Man, I wanted to take advantage of that, but that's the height of uh, how you get a nickname. <laughs> and man, my stature can't be eating a donut burger without getting some kind of ridicule. <laughs> From Jenkins to Pine Mountain Settlement School, everybody will know. Tom Sexton. Old Cronut. Old Cronut over here. Old Sexton the Cronut. <laughs> Let's see here. Oh, man. Got my shoes off. Do you think that... Um, Sounds good. Do you think that... Uh, Sounds real good. I kind of feel like... Do you feel like country music is now the sort of is becoming the um entry point. It's like a way station on the road to becoming a pop star. Sort of like how Taylor Swift started out as a country music s- musician and then it's like the D League for pop stars. Yeah. Yeah. The minor leagues. The G League. G League. That's pretty why do why they do call I, it why the, do I keep calling it the D League? The, why do they call it the G League? I forget why now. Um, That's a pretty great name for an entire league of sports. Yeah, I know. I like it. The G <laughs> entire League? entire league of sports. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what we got here. One entire league. Whoa, snap. Did you figure out the... Uh... Oh, I'm good, man. I'm rolling. This is good. <laughs> Last time I felt we were recording here, I felt really... Uh... Constrained. Constrained. I was just really thirsty and had to pee really bad, but... Because of all of the hoops you've got to jump through just to get out of this thing. Best to hold it. I just, yeah, I had to just deal with it. And so, like, the last 45 minutes of that interview, I was really not doing great. Let's see. Yeah. um, Yeah. The G League. (laughs) Yeah. So, the G League. So, the G League. A dude died in the G League a few weeks ago. Man, I don't want to talk about that. I'm having chest pains right now. I can't go go there right now. (laughs) Let's see. Let me just give you the advice. Let me just give you the advice that my grandfather gave me. I come from a long line of people with heartburn. Let Let me just say. I'll just give you the advice my grandfather gave me. 90% of chest pains is heartburn. It's heartburn. <laughs> the one time you guess wrong. I, I, I think you would know, though. I think you would know, though. That you were having a... Well, the, the way you would know is you would die. But right. you, would figure, you would figure it out real quick that it wasn't heartburn. Right. Yeah, you would die. Yeah, you're right. I was like, oh, well, we know it wasn't heartburn. I'm telling you, my grandpa was really... How did your... Is your grandpa still with us? No, he's not. Not this one. Rest you have one with, with still with us. I, I do. Suppose. I do have one still with us. But, but the one uh, that gave you the heartburn wisdoms went on. Can I ask how he went on? Lung cancer. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
But uh, <laughs> I, I, really, now that I went that far, I was like, there's no way to twist that into a joke at all without being insane. <laughs> you tried to turn my dead grandpa's <laughs> to a sick bit. To a sick bit. What the fuck is wrong with me? Fucking. <clears throat> no, he was a good guy, though. And, uh, and, um, but, uh, you all- didn't say he was a good grandpa? <laughs> yeah, he, well, he's a good guy. I think, or he was a good grandpa, which he does not is, always equate to being a good person. Just because you're a good family person doesn't mean you're a good person. But is he the beekeeper? Yeah, he was. He did that as a hobby, though. Um, but but uh, <laughs> just see me look off. Whistle, just see me look off. Sadly. He said no, no, no. He said I just. He did that as a hobby, though. Like, like you're trying to like shush me down before I went any further to make some character indictment on him for keeping bees. It's just a hobby, though. It wasn't professional, right? <laughs> no, but he, um, he, uh, er, all growing up, man, I would just be hanging out with him, and he would just be like, <clears throat> you know, just like totally, with his entire sm- like his entire body and being would he would just like burp, you know what I mean? Oh, He'd yeah, just yeah, have yeah, the yeah. most debilitating belches. Never got out of it. Yeah, and so the only reason, so, so um, as I got older and also was afflicted with terrible heart heartburn, um, that's how I comforted myself with, you know, as like, oh, this isn't, you know, I've seen this before. I've seen this before, yeah. <laughs> My line of people. Yeah. No, it's true. I have, um, the thing that gets me is I think I've fucked my esophagus up so much, I just have little burning pains constantly, even when I've not even eaten yeah. bad. And like sometimes they last for days, and I'm like, okay, this is I gotta get this checked out. But well, when I first started getting real bad, like Barrett's esophagus, when I first started getting that real yeah. bad, I was so paranoid about throat cancer because generally, prolonged heartburn, indigestion over a, a long time, long span of time, can result in throat cancer. Can can. It's so I was As totally in like convinced. One percent of. Well, the funny thing is, like, it would take forever. But, like, two years ago, I was like, I'm going to fucking die, man. I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Now, I remember I remember picking you up off the table. You were ready to get out of there, and that nurse had to pull you back in. He's like, no, 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 you're not ready. Yeah. Man, thank you for that, by the way. That was this time two years ago. Thanks for taking me to the uh, to the dock. Yeah, look out for you, pal. I should have been there with you, though. Well, if you ever want to do that, I'll take you. Would you? Yeah. I want to be on the other side of that situation. <laughs> I want to be on the other side of it. <laughs> yeah. For my own mental relationship to my ongoing health problems, my diseases, <laughs> I need to be able to look down on it happening in another human being. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. I think, um, yeah, it give you some perspective, really. Yeah. Damn. Well, I don't know how to contact our Oh really? Guest today. They yeah, didn't have a, a one detail we left out of our email exchange was, Oh great. But I'm guessing they'll look at it at eight thirty and it's like, hey. So anyway, while we wait, what's going on in the world? Well So, Syria. Um Or do we not even want to come down? Oh yeah, no, let's talk about that, hey. Let's talk about it because I really need all I know, listen. I'm gonna get profound with you for a minute. I'm I'm just gonna say, I don't know shit about what's going on in Syria. 
I literally every time somebody even talks about it, I get anxiety. But you don't have to know shit about a situation to know that war is not good, never good, always bad. Ten out of ten times bad. Yeah, ten out of and and so I don't you know you don't have to fucking know what's going on there, even if it's the most heinous shit, even if it's like six year olds getting gassed with whatever. There is literally nothing you, as an American citizen, can do about that. That are going. We're not going to add anything to that. There's no value to be added to that. I, you know, like, and I think that um, you. The bet it's cliche, but the best person on this is Chomsky, which is like, ethically, morally, philosophically, you you try to change what you can. You can ch- you change what you can control. You cannot change what's happening there. And so I guess this is just specifically directed at the people who, the liberal humanitarians who want to say, oh, well, there's something bad ha- happening there. Like, we have to go, like, we, we do not, it always ends bad. <laughs> we know how this ends, yeah. It's... Embrace proletarian industri- international revolution. That's a much better... Strategy. That is a much better strategy to ending the suffering of other people. Yeah. Other than, I don't know. I've just that's uh, between those two choices. Human, what you think is going to be humanitarian war, and an international proletarian revolution. I think I'm going to go with the latter. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. As an aside, are we too cool for Chomsky now? <laughs> we have to give qualifiers like, hey, I know it's a cliche. <laughs> I don't know. Are we? I kind of feel like he's. Uh, I, I read a lot of his stuff and I haven't been I don't know he kind of feel he kind of feels like he's sort of drifted a, a little more to the center in my opinion oh, really? just some of the things that he said lately in the last five years or so but who the fuck knows man I mean does that come with age you think marriage I think I've so internalized the whole yeah yeah I've internalized the whole like oh he's an old white academic or whatever and it's so cl- it's so stupid and so like for that reason i've like tried to like not engage with <laughs> it's so cowardly i don't know i feel bad <laughs> no i think it's also no to be honest with you it's not that it's not because of his politics it's because like i think that i think that his like sort of linguistic analysis his whole like lingu- linguistic like work is now being proven like systematically to be completely wrong. And Man, what a way to, like, can't you just wait till the guy dies before you do that? <laughs> like, let the poor bastard yeah. go out thinking that, you know. Which, you know. Thinking he moved the needle. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we all want to do. Yeah, I think that. Which is stupid, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess the way we view knowledge and the way we view how we, like, come to scientific truths about these things, it's so competitive, it's so ruthless. It's like, we we can say that Chomsky was a vital, important part of developing, like, all kinds of important theories about linguism and language um, uh, acquisition and all this other shit. But um, that, but you can't say that he wasn't a really monumental person in that link of discoveries. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just because we are finding out that a lot of his things are not true and they're not right, um, doesn't mean that we can't, like can't hey. say that a lot of his. 
if we've poked holes in the book God wrote, <laughs> then Chomsky's not above reproach. I don't know why I'm dying on this hill today. Man, another, speaking about dying, how much oxygen do you think we have in this <laughs> Yeah, we're 15 minutes in. <laughs> we're blocked every airway. We've smoked it out. We're going to be like, you know, at Ace Ventura when he's inside that robot, that robotic <laughs> rhino, and he's like burning up and he has to take his clothes off and crawl out the ass of it. Did you ever see that? Yeah. <laughs> that? That was like the funniest goddamn thing when you were... Eight years old, ten years old, Jim Carrey crawling out of the back of a oh. rhino's asshole. Out oh, of a yeah, rhino's dude. ass, dude. You know, I I'll tell you this. I think a movie that never got its due is The Cable Guy. Really? I think The Cable Guy's brilliant. I never watched it. I uh, I always saw it on TV, and I would have it on, but it just never grabbed me. Yeah, it's 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 not as accessible as his other work. <laughs> As, as Carrie's earlier work. <laughs> Why? Because it's darker. It's very. It's got, it's has very it got dark. Ben Stiller in it? Uh, yeah, it does. But it's uh, it's got. Uh, who's the fucking guy? <laughs> I always think this guy's one of the friends, but he's not one of the friends. Who's the guy that you think is on Friends that is not really on Friends? Uh, um, Christopher Walken. <laughs> Idris Elba. Idris Elba. <laughs> Let's see here. Yeah. While we wait, I just want to say, I just want to reiterate, war is bad if anybody even seriously talks about it seriously for a minute. You should definitely. When you see war, go the opposite <laughs> way. Here's a little PSA for you kids. On a serious note, it's interesting... Anti-war movements have kind of went out of vogue a little bit, haven't they? Well, I think it's because people were... Like explicitly anti-war movements. Well, I think it's because... I think it's maybe because the invasion of Iraq elicited like the largest protests ever seen in history, like worldwide at that point, and it's still... Like there was no response to that. <laughs> it, it yeah. didn't matter. It resulted in nothing. you saying it... Uh, didn't move the needle. It did, it did not move the needle. And, I, you know, I don't know. Um, but but I'm not sure if at that time the left was... I don't know. Those were just different times. But, no, the, uh, war movements are... That might actually provoke the state or it might actually cause the state to blink in an important way go on i don't know i think just i think challenging empire is a necessary part of challenging le- the legitimacy of the state and um by doing so we can sort of build a larger movement but also you know raise consciousness also, again, of the legitimacy. I, like, that to me is a question that I think we should be putting on everybody's mind at all times. The legitimacy of the state. And empire is, like, criticizing empire, building a, a movement around that, building a movement around, like, anti-war, I think, could get us as a movement to a place where we can start putting pressure on vitally 
I don't know. We're just like putting pressure on the state in a way that causes it to flinch. <clears throat> Effectively. And when you've done that, you know what I mean? Like when they flinch. When like, they flinch. <laughs> I don't, dude, I'm you talking might, out my ass. You might have just moved the needle. I'm talking about man. I'm just fired up, goddamn. I'm fired up too, man. I don't want us to go to war. Seriously, this is not. This is no good. No, this is. Uh, you know what the thing though is, and I think why the sort of the muted response is because echoes of the Bush era wars that never really ended. I think people are so well adjusted to wars. Yeah. That this for the average person, for us, I mean, we obviously know like, okay, this is not good at all. Yeah. And 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 also could have just I mean, other than making a bad situation worse, has serious ramifications for protectorates, uh, Russia, Iran. Right. Uh, which is nothing that we want. Right. Obviously. Yeah. The um the sort of like or excuse me, the series of protectorate of Russia and Iran. Pretty much, yeah. Well, definitely Russia, but Iran are So uh, from what I understand, doesn't Russia need a a crucial port there at Tripoli, I think. Wait, isn't that Libya? There is also a Tripoli to Libya. Oh, there's two Tripolis? I think there is. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The whole thing just gives me a headache. It's, but I think you're right. Like we have sort of normalized America being at constant war, but I think, uh, again, people are used to that, but it is the sort of unseen toll of that. Like, I think that rural communities are really where that sort of you see that a lot like it's not buried underneath all these other layers of society yeah i think also with that sort of rural thing i think one of the hallmarks of rural manhood is having served yeah this idea true. of having served and so i think these wars are sold in places like this yeah for sure because it's always been the plot of poor and working people to go fight these things yeah well, you know, that is definitely the case. I, I do know for a fact that, like, people were recruited from eastern Kentucky, from the coal fields in, you know, West Virginia. An astonishingly high number of <laughs> people in Central Appalachia right, were fought in the war, too. Right, were drafted in Vietnam. Yeah, in Vietnam, too. Yeah. But, yeah, but no. All the wars. Yeah, all all the wars. But, you know, like, it's it's important to, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think you're right. We have normalized that as an everyday part of our existence. Um, but you know, just like everything else, just like healthcare, just like everything, I don't know. Like, it, empire has a toll on our communities and has a toll on our uh, self-actualization. Hey, I like that term. Yeah, no, like I love that? it. I love it. You like that word term? Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's right. I think you know, just as an kind of an aside how on the nose I mean obviously this is oft talked about but how on the nose is hypernormalization mm-hmm. I mean how fucking dead spot on in light of all this news man what I find so fascinating about that is 
it's so strange. I was talking to my coworker Wes about this the other day, about how like because the a lot of Americans only seem to relate to politics in this sort of purely symbolic way. It the result of that is that that also bleeds into governance. Yeah, and so like you've got this weird limbo state where nothing gets done. But everybody talks about things in the most inflammatory way possible, and it's all this brinksmanship and all this. Brinksmanship. You like that? <laughs> I'm throwing them all out today. Yeah, huh? like well, brinksmanship <laughs> coming at you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But, but as a result of that, we live in this sort of state where we see things going on, like things appear to be moving. The sort of machinery of government appears to be moving, but nothing's actually happening. Happen. Other than empire still sort of empire still turns along pretty efficiently, right. and the police state in terms of deportations and shit like that. Yeah. Otherwise, policy can't get. I don't know. And and in the in the realm of, uh, I, I will say that they are very efficient. Also, in addition to like deportations and shit, they are very efficient in. Further, like speeding along, the environmental destruction and shit. Just yeah. like the amount of permits in West Virginia for mountain top removal. Let's and stuff get it out while we can. I think everybody feels like there's a a cataclysm, a, a cataclysm <laughs> of some sort coming, and it's like just this huge grab on every end. Um, did you see how like the guy that <clears throat> they're trying to the the GOP is trying to, or I guess the Trump administration is trying to install as Scott Pruitt's deputy in the event that Scott, this whole scandal with Scott, Scott Pruitt, Pruitt right yeah. results in him leaving, is a, is a former coal industry executive. Who is it? I don't remember his name now. In um, like Oklahoma. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure he's from. I just uh, read the the lead, the headline in the lead earlier today. It's like, oh, this will be back to <laughs> back into a corner, having a fuck. Let's call our guests here. <laughs> Are you, you can hear us fine? Yeah, I can hear you. We can hear you. Sorry, it took us a minute there. No, it's all good. This is how it goes, that first, like, 15. If we, Yeah, if we get it up and get going in 10, 15 minutes, I feel like that's fast for, like, you know, DIY podcasting. Right. Oh, My yeah. girlfriend does a lot of podcasts, too, and it's just she's like, works with a real studio, but, like, one of them's in New York, but we're in L.A., and they don't have a studio, so they have to do it in the apartment. It's just, like, a nightmare every time. Yeah. That's, that's, like, a, that's like a professional or whatever. That's what we're doing. We're literally in a closet right now. <laughs> Everything is green screened. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> that's right. So we're going to put like a big American flag back here with the eagle or something. I don't know if you know, but this is Hollywood. Nothing's real here, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'll just be a Hollywood guy all day. Are, <sighs> is that a Beehive Collective thing, Tom? It is. Damn. Do y'all know what the Beehive Collective is? Uh-uh. I don't think so. They're like this radical co-op or something. I guess they're in <laughs> Maine. Yeah, they they make these posters. Um, I'm just laughing at Tom because I only see those in like the most radical. Like uh, I've banished all my bad posters to the closet here because my girlfriend won't let go away. <laughs> so all the pinups, all the '80s, like <laughs> yeah, that's right. They watch pinups. <laughs> I was my my roommate in college. You guys follow NBA any? Mm-hmm. My roommate in college yeah, was player, Kenneth Fareed yeah. that plays for the Denver Nuggets. And above his bed, he had like this very ornate like Muslim prayer rug. 
and it was flanked on either side by a Family Guy poster and the periodic table of sex positions. (laughs) (laughs) And now that guy's got more money than God. That's the way it goes, though. What's the first post? The first poster I ever had was Britney Spears. I had a Britney Spears poster in like seventh grade. I thought she was hot. I don't know. <laughs> I had a Spencer's poster. I had one that had a bunch of, like, I forget what it was, but it was like different smiley face moods. Oh, yeah. About. Remember, you know, that, I don't know what genre that is. Um, I never had a poster, but I was all, I was always really fascinated with like big dogs and big Johnson stuff. That's my era. Oh, yeah. Hell nice. yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Yeah. What about uh, you, poster-wise? Oh, I mean, like, what what kind of poster? I mean, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, probably. There you go. JTT, baby. Yeah. He was hot. He was really hot. Um, he, he, he used to hang out with friends of mine when I moved to L.A. when I was 18. He didn't go to the school I went to, but he was just, like, high school friends with someone, so he would just show up, which was, like, really unfair, too. Like, how are you going to be in the room <laughs> with a bunch of 18-year-old people? Yeah. Right. JTT walks in and has, like, a... Like, like a hard lemonade or something. Everyone's <laughs> swooning. I swear. The first year here was rough. <laughs> I can't imagine having yeah having to compete with JTT at a party. God damn. Oh man, it's over. It's over. You know. Sorry for name dropping like two minutes in. Too. Oh, yeah, we, like me the too. Most me too. Bullshit thing I could do. You know your name drops way cooler than mine. But the JTT thing made me think of. Do y'all remember uh, Devin Sawa, who was like the poor man's JTT? That he just never really he was not the poor man's JTT. He was he had his own. <laughs> oh, so you think I'm, I'm wrong in that assessment? <laughs> he was oh god. He was like in, in. Did you see the Casper movie with Christina Ricci? Yeah. That's right. So you know when like Casper turns into like a real boy. That was him. <laughs> My real I can't boy. Place it, but okay. Was he also in the like Tom and Huck movie? Was Ooh. he opposite? JTT is he alive? Because that's like if he's a child he actor and he's alive, like that's a huge accomplishment. I don't Not think to like that make is. fun of it, but it's like yeah, JTT is obviously still kicking. Is Devin Sawa still alive? Um, we're gonna have to put the interns on that one. Yeah, I bet <laughs> probably not. Seen as how most child, I know people in. I brought it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too soon, man. Too <laughs> soon. Can oh. you give me a little more volume from them over here? Yeah. Yeah. He's alive. Oh. How old is Blast. he now? He's oh, got to be like... He was in He oh. was in Now and Then. He was in Little Giants. Oh. Little Giants was the one I remember oh, from. Fine. He's the Final yeah. Destination dude. Yeah. Are all children's sports movies, not to segue in about class consciousness, because Little Giants definitely is, right? Aren't they oh, the yeah. Tag? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's it, us. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great movie. Everyone on the left is that. Yeah, Everyone Little Giants is pretty good. It's the same template, right? We're all, we're all being coached by Rick Moranis. Yeah, it's, it's late period Moranis. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! All right, how about we go ahead and start this? How about we go ahead and get this this show rolling? Whenever, whenever, <laughs> whenever you're ready to do it. Uh, well, this week on the show, we're having. Do you want? To, would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, I'm Johnny Coleman. I'm an organizer uh, with DSA and in, in Los Angeles and in Olympics LA, particularly. I'm Claire Lopenfeld. I'm doing the same stuff that Johnny's doing. The same shit. Yeah. Nice. 
Well, so uh, maybe we could just kick. It. You know, Johnny. When you know our mutual buddy Izzy Padilla put this together, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of instantly became excited for the prospect because I think what y'all are doing really connects with what we're doing here, and we'll get to that in a second. But we've had a lot of uh, hiccups and setbacks, so I'm just want to say I'm glad that we're finally getting this uh, getting this rolling here, and uh, maybe Me too. We, maybe we could just kick it off, and y'all can tell us a little bit about no olympics and how y'all got started and all that yeah sure it's like almost a year ago um or a little bit over a year ago i was kind of really kind of getting swept up in this kind of like post-election wave um uh, started really kind of putting my money where my mouth was as far as getting more involved in organizing like moving from charity charitable and volunteer work to like uh you know more just different more more elaborate more um i don't know just leftist based work in la and LA has a huge fucking housing and homelessness crisis right now. Um, I know it's bad in a lot of places, but like a year ago in May, the numbers from 2016 came out and the uh, homelessness went up like 23% in LA, which was about 15,000 people in one year alone. And it was skyrocketing in Latin communities. Um, And it affects me personally as a renter. We have a ton of renters here. We have a cops killing uh, people of color and just people in general problem, cops killing mentally ill people, cops killing homeless people problem. We kind of lead the country in a lot of these issues. We have ICE crawling through our backyards and our schools and our businesses, collaborating with law enforcement, even though theoretically they're not supposed to in some places. Uh, And just like hell, it's like hell. It's like, it's summer, like nine or 10 months out of the year here. uh, the joke of like, oh, socialism becoming a retirement plan, you know, that's been going around. It's like kind of was feeling palpable to me as someone who's entering his mid thirties was getting involved was seeing that an Olympic, it was looked very likely we were going to get some Olympics or another started talking to a lot of the housing and homelessness and policing people in DSALA and other groups. And we realized that there was a huge demand from this, from different communities. They were super freaked out about it, but their hands are so full, like dealing with people being shot yesterday or, and not getting any results from it, that they really needed, uh, I think, help getting this off the ground and establishing it, even though we knew it was very likely that in September of last year we would not flip any city council people or kind of change any of the power dynamics yet. But everyone I talked to, Boston kicked it out. Uh, A couple other cities had various levels of success kicking it out. Rio obviously got stuck with it, and it was really kind of difficult there. We've been working with a lot of people in places where it's going to happen or it might happen or it has happened or it almost happened and didn't collected a lot of information started building a coalition started agitating our mayor and the kind of the mapping the power behind this seeing where the money's going obviously and starting to educate in a community that has a lot of social problems that is really geographically spread out because it's about 700 square miles of stuff we're talking in million literally millions of people we're talking about educating you know we don't have any money um and but it's all been really good like we're about a year in um we're doing all sorts of different projects and it keeps kind of growing and mutating and we're finding little ways to win and um sorry not to like sum it all up in in, <laughs> in, in you know in one mouthful but um that's kind of the genesis of it, it, it like, we're using it as an opportunity to kind of inform people of all the other problems that we're leading the country and parts of the western world in. and we have as of peter Thiel announcing moving to la like a month ago we now have 59 billionaires so it's not like we don't have the resources. It's a question of distribution, you know? We're right. major- we're, our, our city is majority renter. We have like over 50% of our city is renters. Um, we should have the best renters protections like anywhere, basically. Uh, we don't, we're working on it. And we're trying to use the Olympics, which is something everyone knows about, 
because of their you know billion dollar marketing machine to kind of talk about like hyper local issues. Basically, that's kind of it in a nutshell. That's my elevator pitch, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so as I understand it, I think was it Budapest uh, last year kicked uh, decided that they didn't want to host it, which yep. would which would mean that. I think it's Paris and Los Angeles are the two cities that it's down to for 2024. 20, is that correct? 2028. Around this time last year. Yeah, that was the, that was the landscape. Budapest uh, backed out. And then in, it was not a very well-kept secret, but just for everyone, because a lot of people in LA don't even know, even yeah. though it's going to like potentially substantially impact their lives in ways that are visible and invisible. But um, it, we are awarded the games for 2028. They get, they were so the IOC was so afraid that no one was going to bid on the the twenty twenty eight games that they decided to do a twofer and give Paris twenty twenty four and L A twenty twenty eight. This has never happened before. They had to like undo all their weird arcane, fucking right. Henry Kissinger blessed like <laughs> internal <laughs> rules, bylaws, and whatever to do this because they can. They can do whatever they want. Be, be, and so now they're in this weird situation where they have to go backwards in time and assign twenty twenty six, but they can't. It's really complicated, but like another American city can't have it then because they'll lose twenty. The LA people will lose out on ad revenue, so it's looking like it might be Calgary. But they they're going to have a vote on Monday to probably kick it out, which LA never had, and I can get into later. But um, we base so on paper we are awarded the games for all intents and purposes, and the way the media reports on it, which is it's a whole other thing we can get into. We're having it right. Yeah. There is precedent for one city. It was for the '76 Olympics that were supposed to be happening in Denver, um, uh, they got awarded them and then the people got together on, on a variety of issues but um, uh, and pushed it to a public vote and they kicked them out. Um, and so there is precedent. We're actually working with some DSA people in Denver because they're coming back around again to look at 2030 for Denver and we've kind of basically modeled what we did and handed it off as a kit to people in Salt Lake City where the, the Olympics are also looking for 2030 and um, Denver and Calgary and they're looking at some places in Austria so it's all over the place we're kind of doing some organizing with remotely in different parts of the world with these people um, and we're also kind of like getting tapped into some of the conversations around the Amazon H2 and uh, World Cup and other mega events that kind of operate in this similar the for, the, for, the, for anyone who's interested the background of the, the modern Olympics came out of a sideshow of the World's Fair basically at the end of the 1800s. You no know, shit. Kind of, kind of like the post-industrial world. And we don't have, the, the World's Fair technically exists, but I didn't know, um, but it hasn't happened in America in, since 1984 and it happened in the city where I'm from, where I grew up in New Orleans. And it, I guess it fucked over the city enough that American cities got the idea that we don't want it anymore. So now it happens in more like Seville or like countries that, or cities that might even have like more of an argument that it could who knows? I haven't looked into that, but maybe it would actually help their revenue or tourism or whatever. But like, it doesn't happen in major cities anymore. And I think the Olympics is maybe next in line. I think even before FIFA. But they FIFA, Amazon, all these like hyper predatory capitalists kind of go into cities and they kind of shake. It's like that corporate welfare thing where they kind of shake them down. Like you're going to get all this money. Yeah. All these jobs will come. It's going to trickle down. Your mom and pop business owners are going to love it. Um, and, and there's really no data to back that up. If anything, like there's much more anecdotal evidence that like people get like normal, normally operating businesses get disturbed by these temporary things that kind of come up. And that seems to make sense, you know, yeah, but, um, right. labor, we, we've, we have actually had a problem having any serious, um, 
outward facing like um, labor partners and we knew going into that that it would be really hard sell on labor because they still think it's even if there's not a ton of arena building in this bid um, that there will be building projects around it and they think that that's going to um, pay dividends even though a lot of their membership or leadership knows off the record that it won't Right, but it's kind of the game they have to play with the mayor's office. But so labor has a weird relationship. But we're going to be doing something for May Day this year, I think, where we're going to go around May Day and pass out pamphlets why, where we explain specifically why this is a labor issue too. Whether it's the athletes being exploited on a variety of fronts and not getting paid, but you know, just the abuse issues to the thousands of volunteers in each host city that like volunteer for billionaires. <laughs> and get treated like shit, like in Pyeongchang. Yeah. They, they, you know, they had all those like wild, like super dangerous uh, temperatures and wind conditions and people there like get, getting hypo cases of hypothermia. But I don't know. It's it's wild. And, it, and most people know this, but you just, you just need to kind of take the time to get their attention in different formats and like break it down. And if they have remotely decent politics, I think eventually most people come around and be like, yeah, I don't, I like watching it as a show. You know, like we both mm -hmm. kind of, and a lot of people in our group, like, grew up and have profound, you know, like pop culture. We're also like involved, you know, we work, we work around pop culture and know that when it's great, which it hasn't, I think, been in a while, it can be captivating television. Oh, yeah. For me, for me, it was like the 92 and 96 games were powerful. Mm -hmm. Michael Johnson with the gold cleats. Yeah, it was, yeah. So it, it can be good TV and it can be really uplifting, but they're obviously not telling you all the stories. We have a new series called The Olymp True Olympic Stories where we talk about all the athletes that don't have these kind of storybook finishes. Um, and a big thing for me growing up that I realized now was like a radicalizing moment, but I never would have said at the time was I was a wrestler as a kid. And I remember Kevin Jackson was an Olympic gold medalist. And I remember speaking of posters we had in our rooms, I feel like <laughs> his poster was in my closet too. And he would do the summer tour and do like little youth clinics for kids. And that's really how he made his living. And he, was, he wasn't living out of his car, but he was like not doing well. And he had just proven he was the best in the world at what he did. Yeah. And... And um, it was a weird bummer, but, it, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, like, I think if considering the way that, like the treatment of athletes, I think like, you know, just thinking about pop culture, I mean, they're so, I think you can kind of see like how little people want, people who are not necessarily politically inclined want to pay attention to sort of the truth behind either things that happen to athletes or like the way these stories uh, really happen. Like, I mean, the fact that there was an Oscar-nominated movie about Tanya Harding that paints Tanya Harding as like the hero of it <laughs> because like she was coming, like she just really wanted to be in the Olympics so badly. I mean, I think that that sort of at least gives us like a portal into uh, how much of a fantasy there is around the Olympics, and yeah. um, and, and I think that that th there's like this magic to it that convinces people to, or that like allows people to ignore different things and to treat people like garbage. I mean, there was a speed skater on the South Korean team who was hospitalized after the. The, the most recent winter games in Pyeongchang because she like wouldn't she didn't 
skate the way people wanted her to. And she, they, the team, South Korea took the silver medal in speed skating, and she still ended up being hospitalized for like an anxiety disorder because the jeering and the way that she was treated by her, like her country people in her hometown, like literally bur like defeated her. Um, and I think that like, so there's just like a, a like multitude of things that people need to be more aware about like when it comes to their entertainment. And I know that that can be like a buzzkill. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the things that we, you know, you were just, we were talking earlier about the NBA. I mean, those people make astronomical amounts of money and there's like still labor issues there because like there's a, there's a salary cap. I mean, like the person that owns the like, Golden State Warriors makes more money, like doesn't change how much money Steph Curry makes even yeah. when he's like doing insane athletic things that nobody is and, and, ever going to do. Yeah, and it's kind of, of the same in the in the NFL when you think about like CTE and all this stuff. Like even mm -hmm. though these guys are well well compensated, I mean, that yeah. what yeah. Well, there's like it's very clearly and to anybody who's paying attention, it's very clearly a relationship of manipulation or 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 someone is being ex exploited in this scenario. You know what I mean? And I think mm -hmm. people know yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, it kind of reminds me of those two things. It kind of reminds me of like both as individuals and as a culture, we kind of suspend our normal rules of operation. There's that kind of shock doctrine thing, yeah. of like rule of exception thing happening on a massive scale, but it also happens on a very like personal level too, where we're like, where we're like, yeah, like we're impoverished and we haven't like invested in our public infrastructure in forever and unions have been getting killed forever. And like the median income in LA is like $27,000 or something just absurd. Um, but it's like, but we'll take the little like bobble, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll dangle this in front of us. And it'll, for a lot of cases, it works more than it doesn't. And it's really depressing. Um, and, but I also think that most people, like you said, get it. And I think most people have, you know, think of, approach just even viewing sports in general in America differently, even if they're not necessarily politically active or hasn't stopped them from engaging in it, you know, just like as a consumer, which is fine. But I think that we kind of are, and maybe I'm in my own little like leftist bubble, but I think we kind of realized that to me, the parallel of how we treat, you know, like an NFL player who's like literally sacrificing their heads in a lot of cases, their, their mind and their future. Mm -hmm. And for, on average, what, like two and a half years and the median value of what they'll make over that time is really small. Um, and, and then when we're done with them, same way when we're done with Olympic athletes who in America never get paid in the first place in most cases, we kind of we kind of discard them the way we kind of discard soldiers, I feel like. Mm. Yeah. And we're kind of like done with them and then the rest of their lives are like extremely difficult. And, now, and a lot of the stuff, and a lot of the indoctrination stuff that happens, the reason we have kind of some of these sex abuse scandals is because people are so afraid of coming forward because of this like, these power dynamics that are in these youth systems or, you know, army and military boot camps and they're all, not about questioning authority and just like letting all these terrible things happen until um, usually it's too late. Well, and because we put like so much value on on these like things you can dangle in front of people's faces because like especially I, I mean obviously I don't know what it's like to grow up in other countries but I know that there's like inherently so much pressure in America to like be special and I think when you put that on 
on people for their athletic abilities. Like not everybody gets to be a professional athlete. Not everybody makes it out of the NCAA. And if you make, like, you're not getting paid there either. Um, as, and even when your school is making money off of you. And I think that like that, I think one of the things that's like important for us to do in the Olympics is not just like working with, um, you know, our coalition partners about with housing and homelessness, but really just like raising awareness of like about how we view other people in our lives. And I think that that's like, like we, sh we should be really clear about how, like how we treat others and who, how we relate to other people through their treatment of others. I mean, like, I don't, you know, we will probably like harp on our mayor a bunch, but like, I, you know, again, what Johnny said about like, dangling something in front of somebody's face, like this is Los Angeles. This is not, uh, this is not a place where it's a pretty blue place like that. And to think that like someone like the mayor of Los Angeles would be happy to like buddy up with Donald Trump so we could have the Olympics while we're in the middle of a home, like a, a housing crisis, like that is being reported by our local paper as like, like a literal crisis that is affecting our country. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, it's pretty, it makes you feel pretty bad about how we care, like, do we care about each other or not? Like, you know, the whole thing is supposed to be a celebration of unity through the entire globe. And instead, like, there's so much waste that happens around it. And it's really disheartening. Yeah, so many people get hurt. It's like, it ends up becoming the opposite of what it is on paper, right? Like it's supposed to be about coming together and it's really more about like our differences and our divisions and speaking of like uh shiny things that we you know you hang out you hold out in front of people i think uh one of the things that i've seen that they talked a lot about to sell the the games coming to la was um that they held them in 1984 correct like they held mm -hmm. them before and it was it was you know the narrative or the spin that they've come away with is that this was a success. It was supposed to highlight sort of uh, Reagan's America, and I think Reagan even opened the ceremonies, which was at that time, I believe, unheard of. Like, leaders didn't do that. Um, and from what I understand, the narrative that they've walked away with is that this was a successful thing. It created all kinds of jobs. But... Um, if you look at it, and I think that I remember reading something by Dave Zirin in The Nation, I believe, who said that there's a sort of direct line you can draw from those Olympics to the the riots in, what was it, 92? Mm -hmm. I mean, could you talk a little bit about why this narrative is so um, popular with people and what's wrong with it? Yeah, absolutely. This is one we get a lot, especially locally, but... There's a lot of stuff going on with 84 and it is really important. And, you know, there's so many parallels, you know, outside the Orwellian thing with 84 and now cycling back, like it's really on the nose. But yeah, it was like, it was, there's two things to point out. One, we've had the Olympics before that in 1932, which were, which most people even in LA aren't even aware of some of the ins and outs of that. But that was in the height of the depression when no one else wanted the Olympics and they sold it and they just imported thousands of palm trees and they sold it as a, a real estate speculation scam, which basically worked. 
I mean, Hollywood was going on, but like wow. there's some that is so dark. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we should do at one point probably a podcast with someone just on 32 because it's underrated. One of our colleagues works in academia and she's been researching it. And she's been teaching me a lot of stuff, and I've lived here for almost 20 years about that era. Yeah, and so there's some shady shit that happened then. But 84 is obviously in most people's culture, a lot of people's cultural memory here, and a lot of people had positive experiences because. It was in the end of the 70s when no one wanted the games as well, when it was also an economic recession. You see the themes? Like, we keep getting the Olympics when no one else wants them. Yeah. Um, I think it was between us and Tehran, and Tehran pulled out, or or either way, we, we beat... It was basically us or no against one person or no one. We got them, and it was a kind of financial mess, and it was the first one that was really the capitalist games where they had big corporate sponsors. Yeah. And, at you know... I'm not an economist, but the way I understand it is it was kind of an accident. It was kind of a fluke that they generated a surplus. Um, great, right? Like, uh, no one was expecting that. Um, and the other thing was is they were expecting, like, horrible traffic, but no one, everyone was afraid to drive for those two weeks. Um, and uh, amongst other things, everyone stayed home or left town. So there wasn't a lot of traffic. Yeah. So um, people were, like, huge success. A lot of problems with that, though. Like you mentioned, the military, the militarization aspect. But another aspect is that even that money, which a lot of, you know, centrists or right-wing people get caught up on, is that that money goes into a foundation called the 84 Foundation, which is a nonprofit, which is not publicly accountable. Um, so same with 2028. If in the, the wild chance that nothing goes wrong, it doesn't go over budget, it still won't be public publicly accountable money and it'll go to like parks programs essentially not it can't go to housing homeless people things that we feel and people in the communities we talk to are higher priorities and yeah parks are fine but like we need like 20 other things before we need um you know we, we need we need we need toilets for homeless people before we need like a new a new swing set for example um but that's a tricky argument but yes to the point that dave's iron article um there's so many different pieces that um if you ever get looking into daryl gates the old lapd chokehold monster of a, a, a police chief in the 80s that um, he, he used 84 as like a, um, uh, a, 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 an opportunity to really upgrade the, the, the police force, which was already pretty nefarious and right. shitty in a lot of different ways. And, um, uh, you know, there are rumors of certain people being sent to train with the Israeli army in, in advance of it. I'm talking about beat cops taken there. Um, they got tons of money. They got um, they they got like all this like new like gear like big battering rams that they would use later in the eighties for like things called like Operation Crash and Operation Hammer where they would go into like poor neighborhoods of color and just literally there's a lot of news footage on this like destroy houses if you haven't seen it it's a really it's really horrifying and um, and so many people were thrown in jail for a long period of time in these Olympic sweeps whether they were homeless whether they were, they were just people of color that maybe knew someone in a gang or were active gang members. Um, all this terrible stuff happened. Our mayor at one point on Bill Simmons' podcast or, or at some point last year said it was an urban legend or a rumor. This was reported at the time in you know, like the New York Times, the LA Times, all the kind of um, established media outlets at the day. It wasn't an urban rumor. Um, it just, the, the narrative, because they have millions and billions of dollars over the year in NBC, like they've whitewashed the narrative. It's like most people in the suburbs don't know about any of that shit. Well, it's funny that you said the thing before about like the the measure of success with the traffic in the 1984 Olympics and like thinking about like okay well where like because people left home so they weren't driving like where will the 100,000 unhoused people go 
no oh, one knows. Oh, I guess they're not driving either. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, it, and it's also just, to, I mean, there are still people whose number one issue in LA is traffic politically, which probably isn't surprising. The traffic is fucking terrible. It was bad when I moved here and it's really bad now, even though we have theoretically a more built out public transit system, but like that's kind of been a failure in a lot of ways too. And they're trying to tie transit and transit development, which is, has its own, you know, that's a whole fucking other tumbleweed over there of issues, but they're using that as an excuse to kind of drive. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it's kind of a mess here. I don't, I honestly don't know what LA is going to look like in 10 years, except for the fact that it's going to be fucking brutally hot. Everything else, like the mayor, no one else I think can say with any certainty how we're going to be consuming media. How is, yeah. how are we going to be even watching the Olympics? Will the Olympics be half esports? Cause there's like a big, like that might be a thing or how are they, they've already fucked up the whole trans issue of how do we deal with gender in the Olympics? Cause that's such an old school construct, right? Of just there are men on this side and they compete and the women compete over here. Like that's not going to be around forever in our culture. Yeah, no. And it's just, there's so many parts of where it doesn't make sense in like 21st century life. And I think that there should be like a better, I think there is a much better version of it because everyone's like, so what is a better version? They're like a lot of, if you look back in history in between and before, you know, before World War One, between the World Wars, World, War, World Wars and after World War II, there are a lot of socialist takes on the Olymp like alternatives to the Olympiads, both in America and like Chicago, um, where's what other city? And, and, in, and in different parts of Europe. So like there are models that are like worker driven anti-nation, you know, like no, no national flags. Um, and like pure amateurism, the way that the NCAA and the Olympics mm. were like supposed to be about, and they're not driven for profit. It's like actually not that complicated to like imagine. It's just to get people to leave this thing and come over here. I think it is really complicated for people to imagine something that isn't like brought to you by Pepsi. No, you're or, right. You're right. Like, no, I mean, it's easy for me. You're right. But I, yeah, it, yeah, that's the problem because they haven't seen it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? They haven't seen it on TV yet. And maybe it doesn't happen on TV. Maybe it's just like streamed somewhere. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's a, I think like that's the thing, like one of the things that I would really like to hear from the, the local government is like, how, what do they think Los Angeles is going to be like in 10 years? Like, what, like th this is, and that's like how we kind of understand that this is such a big political of like this is an event that has a lot of politics attached to it because there are climate issues mm -hmm. um there's housing issues um there are transit issues which are separate there's jobs issues and then there's like of course like more internal more internal or private issues like with how the athletes are being treated and things mm -hmm. like that so i think that like yeah it's just too much it takes away from people's fun to think about the actual people that live in the place or do the thing. Mm -hmm. How the sausage gets made. Yeah, it's not. It's not nice. <laughs> you all, you all mentioned earlier that you had touched base with folks that uh, had organized in places where the Olympics had either happened or were supposed to happen, and all that sort of thing. Are there any common threads in terms of? like how this is sold to people locally oh, that you all yeah. picked up on. And if maybe y'all just talk about that for a second, I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, um, it's almost, I mean, in our experience with the cities we've been talking to, it's almost always like fame seeking or, or, or people whose ambitions it is to be something greater than mayor 
like a neoliberal liberal, a liberal with neoliberal kind of leaning policies, a pro-business, a pro-tech kind of people, pro-developer um, types. Um, that's a one thing. Uh, we've noticed that there's uh, places, it's weird, places that already have, for the most part, issues or like a, like a, 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 a militarized police, especially in the last few ones, look at London, look at um, Sochi, look at Rio. The police there were already extremely militarized and had hardcore surveillance. Um, and then they got upgraded while they were there. Um, you know, LA, Pyeongchang. Um, what else? What else? some of the other similarities? They're all they all have like okay, like m most of the most of the other organizers we work with are coming from homelessness or housing related issues. A lot mm. of them happen to be artists or media people as well, which is also true of our group. Even though there's all sorts of you know um, careers and backgrounds in there, uh, we're all super pissed off, obviously. And I think one of our goals can be maybe to like create something that's more viable. And I think that's what we're already doing by helping other people getting started earlier in other cities, like even before the bidding process starts, is to kind of get them to drop out as early as possible. Because as organizers, like the earlier you get in, the higher, you, you know, you won't hopefully have to spend 10 years on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but um, they, they, it's hard because they, they go back and forth, but for a while, sometimes they're really popular in places that are more authoritarian, like, you know, like Russia, obviously. Um, uh, right now, they, what the IOC wants to do for the 2026 and 2030, they want to put them in places that are more traditional, so places that have had them before, uh, wealthier places. Um, a, lot, a lot of the winter places are more touristy to begin with and more places that live or outside of the normal urban areas. Yeah. So the problems are typically a little bit smaller, but still definitely there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And anywhere where there's a profit and there's people, there's like right now it's where anyone's desperate to kind of... Uh, you know, you saw it with Mitt Romney with Salt Lake City. Like he wanted to run for president. He knew that was a feather in his cap to fix the finances. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's mostly wherever you can find like political ambition. But a lot of mayors don't want to go on to be president. There's never been a mayor that's successfully run for president in America. It actually doesn't happen very often. So the fact that we have one right now is kind of weird. Um, and he knows that he has no other political victories. And this is a, you know, this is a political victory for him. Just getting it awarded, even though he will be long gone. I like that his. I like that his name sounds like the. Uh, Carcetti. Carcetti. Yeah, he's a fucking yeah, piece of work. So like, yeah. so like, uh, how does this how does this work for like, um, from what I understand, is it is there like a local sort of like council of people who like get together and they decide behind closed doors that this is what LA needs, and then they take it to the sort of like local power structure. I mean, is there a local organizing yeah. committee? I guess is what I'm asking. Yes. Yes, is that guy Casey Wasserman got to call a couple of his buddies? They raised sixty million dollars in like a week or two. So they have this. That's we're going up against a huge war chest. So getting back to Little Giants or other sports movie metaphors, like yeah, yeah it's like we're always we realize where we have the truth and all this other and time and all these other things and like the actual people and communities on our side and they have like a fuck ton of money and a, a brand on their side that people are familiar with. So yeah. 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 But so, 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 so they got together. Um, they got like Kobe, Dr. Dre, all these other millionaire billionaires. Damn. Um, some, some athletes, <laughs> some, some Goldman Sachs people, Larry Probst, a lot of like Wall Street gangsters, some very extremely wealthy people, um, some like, people from NBC. Yeah. A huge cadre of people. And they have put together a lot of, in my opinion, like really tacky propaganda. Um, check out some of their videos or just even the logo for it. It's really, it's really. Um, Casey Wasserman, one of his own companies, got paid a million dollars, which he supposedly recused himself from that, but he, he's already paying himself back for this. Um, they have a lot more money. 
um, that they're going to throw at this, even though they're still they're still soliciting the help of volunteers. They wanted to raise the money privately because they didn't want to have what happened in Boston happen to them, where the people kicked it out. They had between 15 and 25 when I started investigating this around a year ago, quote unquote, community meetings with the community that their publicist kept sending back to me. I was like, cool. I'm looking at these community meetings and these agendas, and I don't these aren't like meeting notes. I don't see where there was discussion. There were a lot of small business chamber of commerce meetings. In, in upper middle class areas that have n nothing to do with the communities that will be like most effective negatively by this. Um, but like on paper, technocratically, they're like, yes, we did a lot of outreach. And we realized that they obviously didn't. They, won't, they didn't go to Skid Row to talk to people in Skid Row to see how, the, what, what, how they felt about it. They didn't go to South LA. They didn't go to East LA. They didn't go, and we did. And that's what we've done the last year. We've kind of talked to those people in all different ways and heard a lot of different kind of concerns. And the number one concern is that they weren't, no, there wasn't. There wasn't any real public input, and maybe on. And they'll fight that till the day they die. Like they, they get really in the weeds about that. They get mad when we say that there it wasn't very democratic, and it wasn't. It yeah. went in front of. At the last minute, they had to change it from 2024 to 2028. There was a new council person elected. She wasn't there for them. Like she literally voted on it and was never even heard public comment on it. So there's, and when that happened, the fact that they got greedy on top of greedy from August to September of last year, I think really lost a lot of faith in the process from people in the press that were kind of on the fence that were like, y'all are just so, some mad leftists that are like, you know, creating problems where there are none. Um, and a lot of those people, at least personally, I think kind of changed and it kind of was like an awakening to them that like these people do not care at all. It's a foregone conclusion. And I think we helped expose that even though, you know, I think, you know, the next, everyone's like, what's next? I think we're, we're, we're looking towards like a ballot measure in a couple of years once we've done some more education and once kind of some of the dynamics change a little bit more and once Garcetti's, I mean, he's already has one foot out the door, but once he's really out of the picture, um, we can kind of start, um, you know, and it just gets, it's a slow burn. It's like a bummer, you know, it's like, a, it bums me out too, but it's like more constructive than just being mad all, online or feeling helpless about homelessness or whatever. It's like, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I, I come from like a journalistic background, Claire does too, but it's just like, yeah, it's like, I, I'll, I'm fine with asking questions that are like unpopular. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I was shocked. That's how it started. I was researching an article too. It was like, why isn't there a resistance? And then over the course of it, I really kind of convinced myself and I talked to other people that like, this needs to exist. And I think um, that, you know, there's so many challenges, the fact that it's far off and all these other things. And, um, but I think the next year is gonna be really interesting. And hopefully like people keep hearing about it. It's hopefully our network grows too. So that when the World Cup this summer's in Russia, we had someone reach out today, a student group's pissed off because, <laughs> um, because they're nice. they're gonna build they're gonna build some like World Cup thing next to their the student center in, in at this university in Moscow and the student body just found out about it at the eleventh hour and they're pissed and they're like you're displacing us as students like what's gonna happen so we'll be there in some sort of way helping them even if all of us can't go over to Moscow and then we'll be looking at Japan with Tokyo Olympics in 2020 we will be there some of us will make it there by 2020 there's all sorts of nasty shit it's already 9 billion dollars over 9 billion dollars over budget they're deforesting all these like ancient forests there's still nuclear radiation from Fukushima in some of the in some of the places where they plan to have water events in like 18 months so good. it's wild so we, we'll, we'll be there and we'll probably be in France at some point too to work with them and uh, we'll be wherever we can, you know, because we're in all volunteer org. Like, this is what we do in our spare times, uh, in spare time. But uh, it's wild. It's never boring, though. There's always some. It's it's kind of if you look at the wiki for how for 
it's funny because FIFA, I would expect to have its own separate wiki, but it doesn't. But the, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, the FIFA of the Olympics, they have their own special devoted wiki for scandals and controversies. And it's wild. And it's like wild that anyone would ever want to like loan someone <laughs> yeah. like 20 bucks, let alone like... Yeah, they are kind of like a... Uh, they seem to me to be kind of like a... Um, I remember reading an article about they had made all these demands on, I guess, Oslo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when they... Um, wanted to to bring the winter olympics there and they were pretty they were pretty funny they were like um it was like uh, people in the ioc had like their own special walking lanes that people couldn't like the regular people and attendees <sighs> of the olympics couldn't walk in and they had to be it's like, like, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a crazy diva like um like tour rider where you can't look them in the eye and like <laughs> yeah. all the M&Ms taken out or the brown right. ones and like yeah. a cheap yeah. diva he's t-shirt guns <laughs> yeah. they get whatever they want they get yeah exactly they're kind of a yeah they're an elite they're a group of elitists with a lot of money just like any other sort of power structure it's like in the cast of characters you've got the people in LA with billions of dollars trying to bring it there and then you've got the IOC which is its own sort of like oligarchic power structure they I have just, like that old Nazi money sorry to interrupt yeah, you, like they have yeah. that weird old European North African Middle Eastern kind of just royalty money like 10% of them I think are all nobility or royalty and Kissinger's they're, they're all, all in the Bilderberg other. group yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and in America you've got the west coast version of that like all the kind of like weird Hollywood adjacent like new criminal new like international criminal money that want in on it we also realized too that like the whole bidding process itself, you know, as I was from the South and it reminds me of the debutante system where it's in, in a weird way. And it's also like a way, because the two or three years that Eric Garcetti and these other, you know, Casey Wasserman have been going around the world because they'll go to like Lima to go meet the IOC for this thing and then go to this other thing in Switzerland for a couple of weeks is what we, what we realized that they were also doing is building out Garcetti's like international donor base for his presidential run. So that like, which he, you know, if he's shrewd, that, that makes sense to me because he knows that it can't just be L.A. money if he's going to have, like, a real shot at running president. So it's fucking sure. gross. These people, yeah. But it's like these people are, like, have run such a bad show recently that, like, and with all the sexual abuse stuff and all the financial kind of problems and the, tra like, you name a subject and it's like they're on the wrong side of it. But it, who knows? We had that kind of faux reform in, from FIFA a few years ago, which I don't, obviously didn't go that far, but... I feel like with this one, it's going to be a more radical tank, and I think they get desperate. Like, I think they keep getting more desperate the harder it is to find cities, and our goal is to like help them not find cities. <laughs> the good thing is, is most other cities don't have a positive previous Olympics to go back to. Like, LA is kind of the perfect storm of a lot of really bad things, unfortunately, that we're fighting against. But um, you know, we still feel like we can we can we can shake some shit up. Yeah, no, so when you know, when we were first talking about this, Johnny, the the it's it's interesting to me sort of the parallels between um what y'all are going through with, you know, kind of being sold on these mega events and like this one big idea and then like sort of the same the the well here uh we kind of get sold on the same things but because of not mega events i'm sorry i'm butchering this <laughs> but um 
What are you saying? What are you saying? I got tripped up. What are you saying? We're running out of oxygen in this class. <laughs> yeah, we really are. We really are. What he's saying is that we have, uh, you know, in the sort of like rush to um, create like economic development out of small tax bases to squeeze as much money out of a tax base as possible, which is what, um, you know, it's just, it's, I don't know, just one of the facets of modern living in a capitalist system. What we get, we get presented with are these big shiny objects that accrue tons and tons of capital in their wake and but like leave behind really nothing afterwards like right now we're getting offered a prison um and Hell that's yeah. and the and there's some interesting parallels with how there a was a creation though right there well that's what they say Sorry. that's <laughs> that's what they say that's uh there's some interesting parallels between like how there's a local committee usually of the local elite that sort of like lobbies the local power structure, and then um, before you know it, you've got a congressman on board who takes billions of dollars, millions of dollars from prison industry and all this other stuff. And then, and and so, yeah, I don't know, just the sort of political machinations of how these things get created, they're very similar with where we live and with what you're going through at the moment. And the prison that we're being offered, which is a federal prison, is the best sort of parallel to that, I think, is what... Yeah, you're um, you're sold something that people don't actually need, right. right? Like, and it's and it's and it could go to, I don't know, probably you could probably tell me, and other people in your community could tell me of a lot of other places where that money could probably better, be better served. And, it, and did did they use public-private partnership? Did that phrase come up ever? Yeah. Or does that? Ha yeah, that's yeah. the scary phrase. That's what kind of unites all these things together is the umbrella and like. The work we do isn't just about the Olympics or isn't just about Amazon or World Cup or these same. Like it can happen in a much more with much smaller rich people and in much less urbanized areas too, uh, it's a path. It's a pathological kind, of, or it's just like a pattern of, um, and yeah. And I mean, I don't know if we'll have like. I don't think there's any magic bullet. I think it's pretty pretty clear. But it's like I think um, you know, maybe people's. You know, and that's something we're trying to change here in LA too, because we have the most incarcerated people, at least in America. I know. In Louisiana, where I grew up, it was the most per capita, the most incarceration, like percentage-wise. And in LA, we have the most incarcerated people, at least in America, maybe in the or in the planet, in in the, in the square area. Um, so, just prison abolition or reform is something that we talk about a lot. I'm like, I'm less involved um, on those and some of the work being done here around that, but it's something that. Uh, it's like disgusting. Yeah. It's 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 you know having only been been lucky to visit some other places and be in other countries where that that's not the case, and where and where you also have a strong economy and also have these all these other things and like you know strong quality of life. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think like probably someone it, probably someone in their life will experience several projects if they're paying attention in, in wherever town they're in in America, and um, I'd, I'd hopefully like to f make it. Or at least LA or places where I can be as inhospitable to this as possible, and just like be a place where developers and people don't want to be pitching this stuff anymore. Because even if they build it, we know we'll like make their lives hell, right? And you know, just agitate them into pieces. Um, yeah, but so so what's so is has the prison been sold yet? Is it like is the idea in process? Well, the the, the record of decision was signed on it on Easter weekend, and so you had this really gross thing mm -hmm. where our congressman Hal Rogers, 
who's the representative of Kentucky 5, which happens to be the country's poorest congressional district for 40-plus years now, uh, <laughs> made this really gross like Facebook announcement where he's like, Good Friday indeed in eastern Kentucky where we're going to allocate $444 million to build this federal prison. And it's just like, you know, tying that to a celebration of, uh, you know, Jesus Christ being executed by the state is a pretty pretty dark... uh, well, we thank you both for joining us. Um, I don't know if you how, have anything. How can how can people uh, learn more about what's going on with No Olympics? Y'all got a uh, website. What's your uh, social media presence? Want to plug that stuff? Every, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, no Olympics LA, N-O-Olympics-LA.com, and at No Olympics LA on all the major socials. Um, uh, we have a ton of information on our website. Uh, you can email us no at noolympicsla.com. One of us will, if you have any questions about any of this stuff or you want to kind of get in the weeds on anything, we literally will talk to anyone. Um, we have a bunch of new film projects coming out. We'll hopefully be on some more radio shows and podcasts soon, kind of talking about more specific things um, once we have our survey stuff out. We have some new union-made merch. Um, oh, yeah, I was going to ask whose palms do we have to grease to get those uh, black... Uh what is it? It says like Sin Hogaris or something. Um, yeah, yeah. Those are, we'll those talk are to the group. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what we can do. Um, but <laughs> but but regular members can come, uh, or any person can come to NoOlympicsLA.com/slash/merch. We got a couple of goodies up there. Um, if you see us at an event soon, come say hi. If you're on the West Coast, um, we're very much online. Like the more you can kind of join in uh, online is great. Um, we'll probably be doing some more petitioning and other projects later in the year where we'll need participation but otherwise we're just kind of we're doing some more projects in skid row and around skid row in south la in the next couple months and in long beach it's just it covers so much geographical terrain that we're kind of all over the place physically but um if all else you know if all goes correctly like you'll be hearing us from us in the next couple years as we move to this ballot or whatever the next kind of major move is and we really appreciate it i'm glad that trillbillies is back yeah um next time anywhere remotely over there uh, I'll have to come look y'all up. Please do. For sure. Please do. Yeah, for sure. Well, our guests today are Clara Lobenfeld and Johnny Coleman with No Olympics LA, and we thank you both so much for being with us. It was fun. Give it.